Good morning. Going to jump in a little early today just to make sure. Let me know in the live chat if there are any problems with uh, tech on a technical side like there were yesterday. Again, starting just a couple minutes early, uh, just because I just wanted to get going. Here we are now, full six weeks, going on week seven, since Fiducia Supplicans was issued. And I have grown tired of talking about it. I'm sure many people have grown tired of hearing about it. But the what, this is one of those issues that will never, ever go away in the church, and the, or at least not for some time. And my advice to, you know, the Vatican seminarian or young priest or lay staffer whose job it is is to watch American YouTubers. I really feel bad for whoever that person is. The uh, If you're watching this, please take notes. If you want the story to go away, Francis should stop talking about it. Fernandez should stop talking about it. The people among the laity in the media who talk about this issue should stop talking about it on behalf of Francis. The issue will go away. That's how you get this to stop to go away. But unfortunately, Francis can't help himself. He keeps bringing this up. I mean, have you noticed? It's been a while since I've covered anything any of the better bishops have said in response to this. Cardinal Mueller said something on uh, Raymond Arroyo's show the other night. The video is out there on YouTube if you want to watch it. Even Vigano now has a new letter about things going on in the secular world. He's moved on. I haven't heard from Schneider. Cardinal Burke rarely says much. So neither does Cardinal Robert Seurat. Most of them don't say that much, but they've all moved on. The reason we, we keep having videos on this subject is because the modernists can't help themselves. They keep bringing this document up. And so, good morning to everybody in the chat. We can go and give you Exhibit A in what this is about. So Francis gave some remarks to the media, uh, stuff about the conflict going on, various conflicts going on and everything. But this one, he, he said, let me zoom in here a little bit for you. So you all can follow along with me in case I have to, you know, play fast and loose a little bit with the actual words used to make our totally fair and totally unbiased hosts happy. Francis just added fuel to all of this. And he did this over the course of a couple different uh, addresses he gave recently. Here he said on Fiducia Supplicants when talking to the media recently, he said, quote, well, this is from the article, quote, in the interview, Pope Francis recalled that Christ calls everyone from within, referring to the Declaration Fiducia Supplicants that allows for blessings of persons in irregular or double S types. The gospel is to sanctify everyone, he said. Fact check true, by the way. Of course, there must be goodwill. Also true. And is necessary to give precise instructions on the Christian life. Also true. I emphasize it is not the union that is blessed, but the persons. False. But we are all sinners. Why should we make a list of sinners who can enter the church and a list of sinners who cannot be in the church? No one is saying that. This is not the gospel. Regarding criticisms of the document, the Pope noted that, quote, those who vehemently protest belong to small ideological groups. He described the church in Africa as, quote, a special case since for them, the James Martin sin is something ugly from a cultural point of view, and they do not tolerate it. A little odd, isn't that, that he would say that? In fact, a lot of people had a field day with that statement because it's a very condescending thing to say. And I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here and say that a truly Christian culture would treat it 
that sin in question the way the African bishops and the societies they represent treat it. They would. A truly Christian culture would. And when continuing, he says, However, I trust that gradually everyone will be reassured about the spirit of the Declaration, which aims to include, not divide. It invites us to welcome and then entrust people and to trust in God. Pope Francis admitted to sometimes feeling alone, but I still always strive ahead, day after day, adding that he does not fear schisms. In the church, there has always been small groups that manifest reflections of a schismatic nature. One must let them carry on and pass away and look ahead, end quote. And that's how he added fuel to this. If you object, you are the schismatic. He added fuel to this by condescending to the, the African bishops. They have the most Catholic attitude about this among all the bishops in the church. Right now, in Poland, it was initially reported that the Polish bishops were all against the document, rallying behind Bishop Schneider and the archbishop he serves. Well, guess what? Apparently, the, the Polish bishops are actually distancing themselves and have distanced themselves from Schneider and the ordinary who signed that document. But if you've been paying attention to what's been going on in Poland the last few weeks, you understand why that is. They just had a major, major shift in the political tides there, and it's not looking good there anymore. Uh, don't be talking about how great Poland is as a as a example of how other countries should operate, because good guys didn't do so well there. But let's review what Francis said. He said, those of us who say, hey, hold on, this sin that you're trying to bless is a sin that cries out to heaven for vengeance, are now the schismatic ones. Those of us who say logically that you cannot bless two persons who present themselves to you as a couple to receive a blessing as a couple, as Fiducia Supplicant says several times within the document, without blessing the union that makes them a couple. You can't do it. It's not possible. In fact, what defines that union is a sin that cries out to heaven for justice. And that union is what makes somebody makes the couple in question a couple. A sin that God took some rather, we'll say, extreme measures to eliminate according to the Old Testament, as well as tradition and even what some of the fathers of the church have said on the matter. As an aside, go look up what some of the fathers of the church have said happened when our Lord, during our Lord's passion to the James Martin crowd, okay? Just look up what was said about that. I can't even repeat it here on this, on any, really any platform. I believe it was St. John Chrysostom who said it. It's, um, St. John Chrysostom would put it to this way. He would never be canonized in the modern world. There's just no way they would canonize him because he was not nice. Now, I might be wrong about it being St. John Chrysostom. Uh, let me know in the chat. If you know who I'm talking about, you can even probably put it in the comments, although it may not show up because of the filter settings that our hosts have. But go ahead and try if you want. But we are the schismatic ones for holding to what the church always taught about this stuff. But what are we in schism with precisely? This isn't the Catholic church promoting this stuff. This is the ape of the church, or at least some people who have no business holding, allegedly holding offices that they are alleged to have pushing this stuff. But this stuff's not Catholic. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not in keeping with what the faith has always taught about things, what the church has always taught. As Monsignor Books said in an art thing recently that I'll probably go over here in a day or so, this is not a magisterial document. And if you don't know who Monsignor Books is, he was a he was a, a he's a priest and a theologian who worked closely with Pope Benedict XVI in the Roman Curia 
on theological matters. And he says, fiducia supplicants is not a document of the, of the magisterium of the church. Okay, I'll give you his statements another time. But, you know, if we, but this actually does get better. If we object to the document, we're a, we are a small ideological group, as you heard Francis say there. And we're going to go a little bit deeper into what he said from another source. Um, this is from uh, Gloria TV, where he says, where they report, remember, Gloria TV has a fun bias. They're very upfront about it. I wouldn't, uh, they're very upfront about it, we'll just say. So, headline, Francis those Francis says those who don't accept the James Martin sin are small ideological groups. Again, the bishops from Africa are a small ideological group. Catholics who don't normally necessarily pay too much attention to things going on are a small ideological group. I want you to think about that for a second. So from the article, he says, Francis has once again insisted on his abstract and artificial distinction that it is not the the uh, pairing, the union that is blessed, but the persons speaking to <laughs> an out, uh, we'll say a very biased outlet of La Stampa.it, they're an Italian news outlet. Francis tries to convince himself that those who protest against the document uh, Fiducia supplicants, they have a funny nickname for it, by the way, belong to small ideological groups. Realizing that his ill-considered words might provoke a new uproar, Francis then hastily backtracked, calling the dioceses in Africa a special case. For them, the James Martin sin is something ugly from a cultural moral point of view. They do not tolerate it. Francis is dishonest as Africans have always refer ref referred to the Bible and Catholic teaching and have rejected Francis's artificial distinctions that have no basis in reality. That's also true. Okay. Where do you think the idea that the church is going to be saved because of the church in Africa comes from? It's because at least on moral issues, the church leadership there has been pretty solid. Even like they're not so great bishops have been pretty good compared to a lot of the other ones. Continuing, nevertheless, Francis hopes that gradually everyone will be reassured by the spirit of the declaration. Having caused, having caused a universal schism in the church, he has the effrontery to say that his, uh, his ill-advised piece aims to include, not divide. The text invites us to welcome people, then trust them and trust God. You get the idea. It's He's being dismissive here of those of us who object to the document. And for what reason? Because if he acknowledges that, there, that this is a much bigger problem for him, then it actually leads credence to our position. But his handling of the African bishops and his handling of opposition is just adding fuel to this. And again, here we are, six, seven weeks now after the document was issued. The end of January it was issued on December 18th, remember. We are seeing this story is persisting. And it should not be persisting in the news. It sh we should have moved on at this point to whatever's coming next. And Fernandez has told us what is coming next. We have heard that there's going to be a document from Fernandez soon on human dignity. I don't know when that's going to be, but my suspicion is his document on human dignity will be issued probably before Lent, if I had to guess. Um, I will be, uh, there is a prayer request. Somebody in the, uh, someone listed in the live chat right now will be, here, here she is, uh, Lottie. Keep Lottie in your prayers. She'll be uh, going into surgery in a few hours. So please keep, please, Pray for her intentions, which are on the screen. And even if it's just a simple Hail Mary later on, okay? All right. So, Musden says, I think the schism vibe will be growing over time for those who don't fall in line. I think that's true. And I advise people, just find a traditional parish. 
that's all you really got to do. Just hunker down and, and wait. But uh, Lottie actually says she thinks Francis cannot help himself. I don't think he can either. This is why I, uh, in slower news times, when I'm talking about a relatively minor story, I like to start sometimes after my intro with going, but first let's check in, as we like to do from time to time, with, you know, Francis the Merciful and then his, some outlandish thing he said. <sighs> because he can't help himself. He takes every opportunity to throw traditional Catholics, you know, red meat, basically. Um, so let's see. Traditionalist Catholic says included in the statement on Africa was continued reflection on the document implies continued study will result in acceptance. Yes. And actually in there, Francis has repeatedly said, as has his mouthpieces in the mostly West, that what they want are the African bishops to work to change the culture in Africa to make that sin in question more culturally acceptable. That's what they want. There's a word for that. Let me know in the chat if you know what that word is. These are the kinds of people usually object to other things like you know, American movies showing up in large amounts in other places and American modes of dress and American foods and other cultural things showing up there. But why is this the exception? You should ask yourself that question because as you probably have figured out by now, the James Martin topic in general is not exactly an isolated thing in the church in the modern age. In future generations, we'll have some really interesting things to say about this in hindsight once it's all over. Um, Sharon, that's actually technically not true. There have been popes who have been declared heretics in the past. It's been a long time, but there have been. It, uh, the question of what the threshold is, is uh, something that is debated, and I suspect at some point when the presence, when we finally get the post-conciliar crisis is done, and in the past, they will somebody in authority in the church will finally give us a definitive answer to the Saint Robert Bellarmine question of, you know, a heretic pope loses his office. What's the threshold for it? <sighs> yeah, I. Uh, yeah, AM, I saw that. Uh, Vigano did post on Twitter that there's a, there's a bike and they're saying that I'm not blessing the bike, just the individual wheels of the bike. Yeah, I saw that. That, that, that was his funny way of taking it on. Uh, Charlie, I think I do think you have, uh, you're correct at that. The stuff that was reported on a year ago and with that mass that was said in the Capitol, that Latin mass that was said in the Capitol recently that caused a lot of news was part of that. I think that there was a, the, to put it delicately, the papal nuncio probably was a go between the, between those who, you know, those in the positions of authority in the secular world here in this country and the Vatican. I, I'd be increasingly thinking that's likely to be the case. Now I want to move on to something here that's related to all of this. And this is a word of caution from a good blog um, from Unum Sanctum Catholicum. And he, it's, he's offering a critique of sort of the resisting of this. And I think it's true because a lot of what he's saying is true because what people are lose, some people do lose sight of when talking about fiducia supplicants is that if Francis had issued that document and it was clearly calling for repentance of people, that it really wouldn't be a problem that, you know, that you can receive a blessing, but you must first go forth and sin no more, leave the, the, 
the personal attachment to your sin behind to stay close to the sacraments, live according to your state and life. If all of that had been laid out in that document, there wouldn't be this debate right now. We'd probably be like looking around going, is this real? Like how did Francis issue a document as orthodox as that? It would be compared probably to Humanae Vitae in a, pop, in a very positive way. So this is a word of caution from this. I'm just going to go over the whole thing because it's not that long. Um, this is called The Lord Weighs the Heart, issued on Sunday. It says, in the aftermath of Fiducia's supplicants, I think one of the greatest tragedies we are witnessing is the obfuscation of the way grace draws us despite our weakness. There are two aspects of this obfuscation. The first relating to our real capacity to obstruct grace. The second relating to the ability of grace to teach, to reach us despite our sins. We will consider each in turn. When we pray for grace, we are asking for God to render assistance to us in some way, perhaps by resisting temptation or by growing in virtue or for a favorable outcome for some affair or for someone else. Since grace is the very participation in the life of God himself, God only gives us grace for the purposes that facilitate drawing closer to him. This is why you cannot ask for grace for objectively evil actions and why prayers offered for evil intentions are not efficacious. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. See James chapter 4, verse 3. St. Paul warns that even the Eucharist itself, the source and summit of our faith, will be of no help if we receive it amiss. Citation to Corinthians. This is an important principle, as it implies that we can choke off the conduit of grace by our sins. It is entirely possible that our evil deeds can constrict the flow of grace to such a degree that we harden our hearts against God's mercy. As St. Thomas says, they alone are deprived of grace who set up an impediment to grace in themselves. We can become obstinate, stiff-necked in the words of Scripture, with hearts unregenerate, conscience deluded, and hearts corrupted. While God never ceases to call us to repentance, we can neglect the promptings of the Holy Spirit to such a degree that we commit the unpardonable sin and, and expire outside of grace. None of that is controversial. We all agree, I think, on that point, that this is kind of at the core of what we are worried about with fiducia supplicants, that, that such blessings will, be, will not help anybody to repent of their sins unless they're coming forward to repent of their sins in the first place, right? This obstruction of grace is thus a real possibility, and sacred scripture gives numerous admonitions of what can cause it, all relating to willful persisting in sin and error. It is here that I feel defenses of fiducia supplicants are troubling, because they focus disproportionately on God's free gift of grace, while neglecting the fact that we are fully capable of closing ourselves off to God, to his help by willfully impeding the work of grace. Where's the lie? Right? This is why the argument that traditionalists object to blessings being given to sinners is a straw man. We do not object that sinners receive the aid of the church. Every single one of us is a sinner and we all need help. The issue rather centers on this matter of willfulness or obstinacy, of blessing people who willfully persist in sin, obstinately refuse to amend their lives, and reflect this obstinance publicly. Go back to that picture that James Martin had of the blessing he gave the day after the document was issued. It would be one thing if such persons were asking for a blessing as part of an act of penance, as we all do when we say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. But we do not see this. Rather, we see a kind of blanket acceptance of every behavior and manner of living as just another step along the journey with God. Essentially, it is the idea that our movement is only ever in one direction, towards God, never away from God. The church's task becomes to enlighten people about where they are already going rather than attempt to correct an otherwise errant course. As I do not want to get bogged down in a discussion about what fiducia supplicants does or does not say or imply, I will simply say that my critique applies not to a text, but to a general attitude held by those who are always lauding the path of accompaniment. This attitude does no service to the couple living in sin. 
If anything, it communicates that grace is cheap and it severs the causal relationship between our actions and the grace we are able to appropriate. The whole concept of being properly disposed to grace is thrown out the window. In this view, grace is simply dumped on humanity without any reference to human action whatsoever. Let's pause there for a moment. Where's the lie? That is a very good summation of the thoughtful responses in opposition to fiducia supplicants. Uh, David and Melissa, thank you for the super chat. Francis wants to change the teachings of Christ. Any churchman who doesn't reject this must be just heretic as well. Um, I beginning, I do think that this is the dividing line. Fiducia supplicants, it should not have been the dividing line. Amoris Letizia should have been at least once that clarification on the problematic footnotes was issued a long time ago. That should have been the dividing line. And for many it was. But if not that, then this should be, because this is so, this document is so blatant. Um, all right, so we will continue. Let's go back to that. Uh, let's go back here. So here is where a lot of traditionalists may have a hard time with what he's going to say, because the ability to, uh, here he says this under the heading of the ability of grace to reach us despite our sin. He says, this is a very dangerous idea. In response to this, I've seen some traditionalists adopting what I consider to be an opposing error. One thing that has consistently frustrated me about traditional Catholicism over the years is its tendency to identify itself simply by opposing to a whatever the prevailing nonsense is. If the progressives are affirming X, then trads impulsively say negative X. And when the libs argue Y, the trads argue negative Y, treating every disputed question like a simple dichotomy. I have seen this too on the matter of grace for sinners, where the above position is taken and simply flipped on its head. Instead of arguing that God gives grace regardless of our actions, they act as if the flow of grace is entirely contingent upon our actions. In other words, they have become the caricatures Pope Francis thinks we are. There can be a kind of Jansenist strain in traditionalist thought, a temptation to look at problems around us and see them as fundamentally incompatible with the grace of God. We may see a man who is using certain kinds of substances or a woman dressed immodestly or a Moloch advocate and wonder, how is it possible that the grace of God could work with people who are making such objectively wicked decisions? We come to feel the sphere of activity where God's grace is operative and constantly shrinking perhaps almost non-existent. We can come to view grace as something that is always a response to us instead of something we respond to. In 2021, I authored a piece called Crisis of Faith, Operation of Grace, wherein I address the objection of people who abandon the faith because grace does not seem operative in people's lives. I said, quoting himself, as I've reflected on this over the years, I have come to see it this way. People generally do the best that they can with the knowledge and gifts they have available to them. It's easy for me to say, if you really had grace, you should have done X or Y in a given situation. But I can't evaluate a person's objective state on the spectrum of grace. Perhaps someone's behavior to me was a little off-putting. I don't know how much worse it would have been without grace. Maybe someone is a braggart and has always been a braggart for the last 10 years you've known them. And despite all their communions and prayers, they're the same bragging fools they've always been. Well, thank God they are the same bragging fool, not a worse one. That too is a grace. Perhaps so-and-so comes to mass dutifully every week, says little, contributes little, understands little, and makes little progress. But how do you know that simply maintaining the station does not require some, everything he has? Is not the meaning of the widow's might parable that it's hard to judge the true value of a person's progress on mere externals? Let's pause here. Have you ever gone through a spiritually dry period where it looked like it felt like you were making no progress, but you were clinging to the sacraments, going to mass on a, on a regular basis. Uh, 
Perhaps uh, reading Mother Teresa's account of how she spent much of her life in like a spiritual, essentially like a spiritual dryness, the long night of the soul, as she called it. That's what comes to mind here. There are people who deal with the various types of sins of habit who go to confession on a very, very regular basis. And they feel like they're making no progress. But in that situation, it's, re it's required that we remember that even continuing to call upon God's grace, even if there's something internally wrong or that's keeping you from making the progress you need, is itself kind of an odd kind of grace. And we see that we need to remember that when looking at this issue, because our, our objection needs to be on the lack of call to repentance and the lack and the celebration of the sin in question that we're seeing so much now and the attempt to make the sin normal. Remember what Francis said in that in his interview here that we started this with, that the exception the bishops of Africa got was because the culture views the sin in question in, frankly, a Christian way. That is an objectionable thing, Francis said, because why doesn't the why why doesn't the 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 rest like the why doesn't the West view things the same way? Why is the church? aligning itself with the wrong view of the West. If someone truly is, even if they have a, the kind of sinner with the sin in question that they deal with and they fall down over and over again, but they keep coming back to the well of grace or the sacraments, that person should be applauded for at least clinging to the sacraments. A lot of people will like that statement. But go, but take out the James Martin sin part of this and trade it in for some other sin. What I've heard from confessors is that 90% of men go to confession for what Pius XII called the private sin and the use of the types of materials you find on the internet to go along with it. And that something like 80% of women go to confession for the same thing or similar things. They spend their life struggling with this. That should bring that home a little bit more to you. Now, that there's, of course, a difference. The James Martinson cries out to heaven for justice, whereas this other sin does not. That doesn't mean it's not a dangerous sin and doesn't leave scores and countless millions of souls to perdition. It certainly does. But if someone has a contrite heart, which we can't always see, we need to remember that. And that they are just as justified to receiving the grace of God as the rest of us. Here, Keeney goes on with this. He says, in other words, we cannot assume that because a person's objective manner of life does not correspond to the gospel, that grace is not operative in his life. They may not be in a state of sanctifying grace, but that doesn't mean they are beyond the reach of grace. We must remember what St. Paul taught in Romans, that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Grace is an initiative taken by God. Christ gave everything for us while we were still sinners. When man first sinned, God came walking in the garden calling for Adam. He does not cease calling for us even now in the midst of our iniquities. We must therefore avoid the scylla of the progressive's cheap grace while steering clear of the charbitus of a puritanical Catholic Jansenism. What does the middle route look like? How can we say that objectively evil acts can close us off to God's grace while also insisting that grace can be operative in the lives of such people? This comes down to the principle of willingness, for it is the presence or absence of a willing heart that separates the obstinate from the well-disposed. This is something I have a very big question about with fiducia supplicants. Why is it that the priest cannot ask these questions of those who come forward for the blessing? If you had a pair of people come up and say, we are in an objectively evil state, 
we are attached to things the church says are unobjectively sins. But we can't pull ourselves out of this. Can we get a blessing for the grace to leave this life behind us? That should not be a problem to get a blessing for that. Again, this goes back to the contrite heart, the willingness and the desire to repent of sins. The one thing the church should not be doing is blessing sins and coming up with these mental gymnastics to say we are blessing the individuals of the couple, but not the union that defines them as a couple. You, that logic doesn't work. As Archbishop Vigano sa said in response to something I said in the chat, you know, you know, they say I'm blessing a bicycle, but I'm not. I'm just blessing the tires of the bicycle. Okay, <laughs> right. It doesn't make any sense. He continues saying, most of us have had situations in our own lives where we're not living rightly, but we were doing the best we could, either because we were ignorant of anything better or because we lacked the requisite virtues to overcome our vices despite our best efforts. For example, when I first came to Christ, I spent about two years as a Pentecostal Protestant before entering the Catholic Church. Pentecostal Protestantism is objectively a heresy, and I was formerly out of communion with the church. Was grace inoperative in my life? No, on the contrary, I made great progress in virtue while simultaneously being drawn to the Catholic Church through my study. Grace was clearly working in me for such effects to be realized. One can never know for certain, but I was I suspect that this was due to the fact that even though I was in error, I was trying to do the best I could with the knowledge that I had. I was willing to follow the Lord's truth wherever it led me. In other words, I was wrong, but not obstinate. Let me give you an example from my own life. I started out life really as a high-functioning agnostic and resisted actively the efforts of like, my now uh, dearly departed grandmother for me to come to mass. She managed to get all my siblings to go to mass when I was a kid, but not me. In hindsight, now it's kind of ironic because I'm the only one who does go to mass. At, later in life, I developed the sort of the embrace of the American, what I call like the quintessentially American heresy, which is the just sort of me and Jesus don't even need to study stuff like the spiritual, but not religious nonsense. But there was a grace operating in there too, because it became evident through my own error that life, that it was inadequate. And I started searching for more, which led me to the church. And that even led me eventually to traditional Catholicism. We need to remember that sometimes this is a process. And this is why we need to focus on the error being promulgated. And the error is the lack of call to repentance. There has never been one word said about that by Francis by Fernandez, any of it, certainly not by James Martin. And this becomes obvious, he says, you know, when we look at our own spiritual progress and the, our progress in the spiritual life, we will find similar experiences. I'm sure everybody watching this has some experiences with that. And we need to remember that. Okay. So if I'm going to put this in the show notes today, I return to tradition.org. So you can read the full thing for yourself. All right, let me take a look at the chat here to see if there's anything going on. Um, seems some interesting conversation going on in the chat about secular politics. But uh, without question, we are experiencing is terrible and discouraging. However, Christ is blessing us by opening our eyes and putting all of our trust in him. Right. And this is why we need to, again, always remember to pray for the conversion of sinners for, of course, the scales may fall from our own eyes, but anybody we speak negatively about, like in these videos, and if you're getting really uncharitable thoughts about them, say a prayer for them, for their conversion, and that the scales may fall from your own eyes, if there is such. Remember, our Lord talked about a lot about, you know, pulling the moat out of our own eyes and such. 
Um, Michael Bartman says, Billy Graham, the Baptist, converted me to revert back to the Catholic Church. His message was all about repentance and the commandment. Right. It's a process for a lot of us. It is. I mean, you'll even find that with uh, cradle Catholics. That cradle Catholics, you know, receive the sacraments and, the, and then a lot of them spend a time, you know, relatively lukewarm by their own admission before having some, you know, having the grace of just practicing, even, a, you know, poorly practicing the faith, working in a way to make them more on fire later. And it will happen more with other people. And that's one of the things we got to remember about this is that's why we really should focus on the errors here and not so much on you know, I don't know, just focusing on the errors that we see with the the lack of call for repentance, the appearance of blessing sin, the weird habit that our doctrine chief for the dicastery of the doctrine of the faith has of being really interested in the marital act. Those are things that we that we need to remember because we know that grace works on people if they open themselves in any way to it. And it's a process. Traditional Catholic says, the deeper I go into grace and living the traditional faith, the more clearly I see and understand. Yes, and this is why, like I said, I started out as a high-functioning agnostic and then adopted the American heresy of just sort of being, you know, acknowledging vaguely that there was a God and then but sort of still actively avoiding some particular questions about it before eventually finding myself entering the Catholic Church and then being drawn to traditional Catholicism. It's a, it's a process for a lot of us. James Edwards says he forgives me for anathematizing me without just reasonable cause. I don't, I didn't anathematize anybody. I don't think unless you were promoting heresy in my, or like telling people to leave the church. I ban people for leaving, for telling people to leave the church in my comments. Don't ever do that ever. All right. Any final thoughts on this in the live chat here? Any final questions? I discussion points, anything else that we can talk about before we wrap this up. We went a little longer than usual, but I knew that was going to be the case when I saw um, this Unum Sanctum thing that I wanted to go over. And I didn't even go over the whole thing. There's more to it. And I do invite, I do invite people to read it at return to tradition.org. Kirillay uh, Sanz says, I came across some deeply unsavory things about him. Please God help us. Hope. It's no, no shortage of that. Unfortunately. Megan says, I was a very, very religious Protestant growing up. I would have tried to convert you when I was young. I became Catholic at 18. I was baptized April 3rd, 1999. Yeah. Um, I mean, on my road to becoming Catholic myself, I had, uh, I met former Catholics who were now involved in some really weird, like, secular placeholders for religion. It was odd stuff. And I, you know, thanks be to God, I avoided falling into that. Uh, David, I don't know if it is happening. Um, all right, folks, has, uh, has this Pope ever said to pray the rosary? I don't know, but he has spoken a lot of nice things about our lady. So that's why some people try to lump him in as a Marian Pope. I haven't checked to see if he's ever said much about the rosary. Um, I could look it up later if anybody's curious. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in today. And as always, pray for the church. And if you haven't ever looked at the occasional spot, the sponsors after this channel, go ahead and take a look for at, Go ahead and have a look at them if you want. You know, it's time of year where typically after Christmas, uh, they could use your help a little bit. So 
<laughs> Moose Tent. He did the consecration. Not really. <laughs> anyway, thanks. Thanks for tuning in today. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria. <laughs>